Welcome to Time Travelling Team, the weekly podcast where we review every story of Doctor Who right from the very beginning. I'm Trisha. And I'm Paddy. This week we come to the end of Season 12 as we join the Doctor, Sarah Jane and Harry as they return to Nerva in Revenge of the Cybermen. We will be discussing the Doctor, the companions and the villains and giving our thoughts on the story as a whole. We'd also love to hear your thoughts on the story as well as Season 12 as a whole. To join the discussion, you can check us out at Time Team, that's T-I-M-E-T-E-A-M-P, on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram, or you can email us at timetravellingteam at teamproductions.com. Now though, Paddington, if you would please, the recap for the final story of Season 12. I will. And before I do that, I'd like to thank uh, our good friend Paul over the Half Measures uh, podcast. He also watched Genesis of the Daleks because he was hyped for our version of it. <laughs> and uh, yeah, he gave us a shout out on his uh, on their show and he also went into his discussions about it. He loves Davros more than the Daleks. I can understand why. Mm. He also <laughs> yeah. was considering that he's going to match us Davros story for Davros story. Yeah, he, yeah, he, he, he really was. I, I feel like maybe like when we get to like you know the next Davros, or maybe we get to the revival, we'll have him on to discuss his, what was it, give him his uh, rambling for the Davros stories. Yeah. Hey, it works. You know, his name does begin with a P, so. Yep, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Dan. Also, congratulations, Dan, on your upcoming wedding. Oh, yay. Congrats, yeah. Dan. Anyway, anyway uh, the story. Enough, enough of this mindless banter. <laughs> Part 1. The Doctor, Sarah Jane and Harry arrive back at the transmat room on Nervous Space Station. Sarah Jane points out that the TARDIS is still missing, and the Doctor says that they've arrived back at an earlier point in time than when they first landed, and the TARDIS needs to travel back to join them. Harry asks if he can keep the time ring as a souvenir, and the Doctor says that he can, but then chuckles when it vanishes. He opens the door to the corridor, and a body falls on the floor. Harry says that he has been dead for at least two weeks, the sterile atmosphere having kept the body free of putrefaction, but can't see any sign of injury. The doctor says that something must be wrong on the station, as there is no way that the body would not have been found. They go out into the corridor and see dozens more bodies littering the floor. They make their way carefully through the corridor of bodies, but find the door to the next section locked, most likely to stop the men in the corridor from escaping their fate. Sarah Jane wonders if they are in the correct place, and the doctor says he recognises some of the equipment from the station, and says it is most likely acting as a beacon now, before being converted into the Ark in the future. As they are talking, a small metal snake-like creature emerges from under one of the bodies and moves away from them. Meanwhile, in the communications room, comms officer Warner warns an incoming shuttle to stay away, saying that the station is in quarantine due to a plague epidemic. The captain of the shuttle asks if his brother, who is the crewmaster on the station, is okay, and Warner is told by his commander, Stevenson, to tell him that he is fine. Professor Kelman, a civilian surveyor, asks Stevenson why they don't just abandon the station. Stevenson and his second-in-command, Lester, tell him that they can't leave until their assignment, which is to warn incoming ships away from a newly discovered asteroid, has been completed. Kelman calls their devotion to their duty stupid and then leaves, and Stevenson rages at the fact that Kelman has survived the plague while a lot of his friends and crew didn't. Warner gets a distress call from the asteroid, but there is a loud crashing sound, and then the person making the call stops. Kelman arrives, and Warner asks if there is any life on the asteroid, which is called Voga. Kelman says that he must have imagined the call, most likely due to exhaustion, and insists that there is no life on Voga. Warner goes to log the call, but Kelman tries to stop him to no avail. Meanwhile in the corridor, the doctor manages to open the sensor panel on the door using his sonic screwdriver, allowing him to reach the access switch on the other side. He tells the others to brace the door so his arm doesn't get cut off, but it opens too fast for them, and Sarah Jane hurriedly presses the access switch to close it again. The door slides closed, and the doctor is able to take out his undamaged arm before he opens the door again. 
The doctor thanks Sarah Jane, but gives Harry an irate look before moving off and then leaving his companions confused. The opening of the door triggers an alarm, and Warner reports it to Stevenson and Lester, who armed themselves before going to investigate. On Voga, the body of the caller is brought into an ornate throne room and placed on the floor. A humanoid alien, who has grey-brown skin, stark white hair and a beard to match, flat features and a pronounced domed forehead, enters and examines the body. He orders the body to be taken away. The alien, whose name is Voros, asks his companion, Magrick, why the dead alien tried to make the distress call, and Magrick responds that he was afraid of the plan Voros was enacting. Voros says the plan will work, and their agent, whom Magrick doubts, will do his part due to the vast quantity of gold that they have promised him. Margaret says that they haven't heard from him in a while, and Vorce says that he must be taken care, as the Cybermen could be monitoring their comms frequencies. Vorce promises that he will be able to bring their people back into the light. In the comms room, Warner is attacked by the snake-like creature, and a few moments later, Kalman comes across his body, but instead of helping, destroys the audio log of the distress call. He then hears the Doctor and the others enter the adjoining control room, where they are waiting for the TARDIS to arrive. Suddenly, Stevenson and Lester enter and hold the trio at gunpoint before asking them who they are. Kalman then enters and shows them Warner's body on the floor. Stephen sees that his veins are glowing red and that he tells everyone to get back, saying that Warner has the plague as he prepares to shoot him. The doctor dashes to the body, saying that he can let him do it. He asks for permission for him and Harry to examine the body, but Kalman says that they also need to be killed as they brought the plague. The doctor says it isn't the plague that Warner has, and Stevenson reluctantly allows him and Harry to examine him, and they bring his body into the crew quarters. Kelman leaves and goes to his own room, where he takes out a small portable video monitor and watches the events in the control room. Stevenson works at the comms desk, and the doctor investigates the room, noticing scratches on the floor that seem familiar, but he can't quite remember where they're from. He then notices the damage done to the audio log, and says that there is no plague on the station. He then asks about Kelman, and Stevenson says that he is here to survey the new asteroid discovered orbiting Jupiter. When Stevenson mentions the name Voga, the doctor says that he remembers why the scratches look familiar as they were caused by a Cybermat, and he tells Stevenson that they are dealing with Cybermen. Stevenson says that the Cybermen went extinct centuries before, but the doctor says that they went into hiding after their failed attack on Voga in the dying days of the Cyber War. They then leave the control room, and Kelman turns off the monitor. He then takes out a larger device and sends a coded message into space, which is picked up by a Cyberman ship that starts to make its way towards the station. In the crew quarters, Harry tends to Warner as his condition grows steadily worse, and Lester says that he has survived longer than the other victims. He tells the shocked duo that it has been 79 days since the outbreak, but Mission Control quarantined them rather than send help and risk the spread of the plague. The Doctor and Stevenson arrive to find Warner dead. The doctor says that if he had figured things out sooner, he might have been able to save him by sending him through the transmat, which would have rejected the poison in his system. The doctor then leaves, saying that he smells a rat, and Sarah Jane tells a confused Stevenson that the doctor will find out who's behind things. The doctor goes to Kelman's room, taking cover to avoid being seen as Kelman leaves. He searches the room and moves a hairbrush aside as he searches through the desk drawers. He then finds the signaling device as well as a pouch of gold. He then takes cover under the bed when he hears Kelman returning. Kalman notices the hairbrush has been moved and then attaches a set of power cables from the fuse box in his room to the floor vent. He then leaves and locks the door. The doctor comes out of hiding but is forced to jump onto the bed when the electric current builds up. He manages to switch off the power and uses the wardrobe door to swing himself towards the main door, which he tries to open with his sonic screwdriver as the room fills with smoke caused by the current. Meanwhile, 
Stevenson and Harry remove Warner's body and after they leave, the Cybermat appears and attacks Sarah Jane. Part 2 The Doctor gets out of Kelman's room and rushes to the crew quarters when he hears Sarah Jane screams. He helps to get the Cybermat off her and then throws some of the gold from the pouch at it, which causes it to spasm violently before going still. The Doctor helps Sarah Jane to the floor and he watches as her veins begin to glow red from the infection. Harry, Stevenson and Lester rush back in and the Doctor tells Harry to help get her to the transmit beam so they can flush the infection out of her system. As they leave, he shows Stevenson the Cybermat, telling him that it is the cause of the plague and that there may be more around. The Doctor starts to send Harry with Sarah Jane to Voga, but the transmat fails to work and he discovers that it has been sabotaged. He accuses Kelman and says that he is probably in league with the Cybermen. This is observed by Kelman in his room via the video monitor and he then arms himself in preparation for his arrest. The Doctor starts to try and fix the transmat and Harry tells him to hurry as Sarah Jane is getting worse by the minute. The Doctor nearly blinds himself when the wires he is holding in place flash but it is successful and Harry and Sarah Jane faint from sight. Meanwhile, Stevenson and Lester break into Kelman's room and find him missing. They split up to try and find him. On Voga, Voris informs Magrick that their spies reported the Cybermen have started to approach the station and he says that they have four hours to finish their project, a weapons platform called the Sky Striker, which is a rocket. Magrick says that the platform has been completed but the missiles themselves have to be tested and Voris says that they would have to take that risk. Elsewhere in Voga, Harry and Sarah Jane materialise in the cavern and after Harry explains to the confused Sarah Jane that the doctor sent them there by the transmat to get rid of the infection. They look around the cavern and notice that it is filled with gold and Harry says that he might take some to fund a private practice and set aside some for a retirement plan. Suddenly, they are apprehended by a group of Vogan guards and dragged away. They try to explain their innocence, but the Vogans ignore them. On the station, Stevenson finds Kelman and a tense standoff ensues between the two men, but Lester suddenly appears and disarms Kelman. They bring him back to the control room and the doctor explains to them that the Cybermen hate Voga due to their weakness to gold, which clogs their breathing apparatus when they encounter it and suffocates them. The doctor demands to know what he did with the sabotage the component of the transmat, but Kelman feigns ignorance. Lester then hands the doctor the communicator that they found in his room and the doctor says that he is stalling for time and asks for what purpose. Kelman refuses to answer and Stevenson threatens to kill him, saying that he is within his rights to do so due to the crimes Kelman has committed. Kelman says that they have no proof, but they all recoil in shock as the Cybermat enters the room. The doctor tells Stevenson not to shoot it, and they watch as it approaches Kelman, who can't move as he is tied to a chair. The doctor tells him that unless he tells them where the component is, they will let him die, and he frantically says that it is around his neck. The doctor thanks him and then turns off the Cybermat, revealing that the communicator Lester found was how he was controlling it. On Voga, Sergeant and Harry are brought to the throne room and are questioned by Voris, who demands to know why they have come, asking if it was to escape the plague. When Sergeant says that there was, he calls them liars, as they are not any of the four pre-selected survivors of the plague. They tell him that they arrived after the plague started, and he demands to know how many are alive on the station now, threatening to torture them if they don't answer. A video call comes true for him, and he orders them to be taken away. He turns on the screen, greeting the caller as Counselor Tyrum, and is surprised when Tyrum says that his presence is requested immediately in the city. In their cell, which is a cavern, Sergeant and Harry are chained to the wall. Harry points out that the chains that are holding them are made of gold, and says that due to it being a soft metal, they may be able to break them. In the city, Vorce is questioned by Tyrum about the arrival of the humans in the gold mines on Voga, who says that they can only be there with his assistance. Vorce denies the claim, but Tyrum says that it is not the only strange activity in the mine, and shows him the dead body from earlier. 
Tyrim says that he knows Voris wants Voga to be a great power in the galaxy, but he insists that they must keep their existence secret so as to ensure their survival. Voris calls him a coward, but Tyrim says that he has ordered the city militia to take control of the gold mines away from Voris and his men. Voris leaves, but vows to have Tyrim removed from office as he does so. He arrives back at the gold mines to discover a firefight ensuing between his troops and the city militia, and he orders Magrick to have Sir Jane and Harry killed to prevent them from incriminating him. In their cell, after some comments about the size of her ankles, Harry manages to get Sarah Jane free, who then tries to break off a piece of stalactite to use as a lever to break the chains. She manages to get him free, and they flee as they hear the guards approaching. They reach a dead end and are shot at by the guards, but Sarah Jane points out a side tongue, and they flee from the gunfire. They reach an underground lake, and once again find themselves cornered by the guards. However, a squad of the city militia appear, and the outnumbered guards put down their guns. Sarah Jane and Harry are taken away with them, and they explain their story to the militia captain, Sephra. He sends word to Tyrim, who comes to question them. On the station, the doctor fixes the transmat, but when he tries the recall function, he realizes that Sarah Jane and Harry must have moved away from the receptor circle on Voga. Lester then announces the ship approaching, but when he gets no answer to his hails, they watch as the ship moves into docking range. The doctor says he needs to stop them, informing the others that it is a Cyberman ship, and they all rush to the airlock except for Kelman. The Doctor tries to jam the airlock, but to no avail, and Stevenson and Lester open fire as the Cybermen enter, but their weapons are useless. The duo are shot by the Cybermen, as is the Doctor when he tries to get to the control room, and the Cyber leader says their station is now in their control. Part 3 Kalman arrives at the airlock and is shocked that the Cybermen didn't kill the Doctor and the others. The Cyber leader says that they still need to keep them alive to fulfil their objective. Kalman then starts to search the Doctor's body for any sort of identification, but only finds bags of jelly babies and a random assortment of items. The cyber leader has the bodies removed from the room and says that they need to hurry as the Vogans will move against them once they realise that they have arrived. Kelman shows them the survey charts he did of the asteroid and shows them how they can access a mine shaft that goes right to the core. As they talk, the doctor and the others wake up and the cyber leader tells them that they will be used to help destroy the asteroid due to the cyberman's weakness to gold. The cyber leader then asks Kelman about the activation of the transmat and demands to know how much Sarah Jane and Harry know of their arrival, but he says they know nothing. He then says that he needs to go down to the asteroid to make sure that they didn't damage the receptor area, and the cyber leader agrees. On Voga, Sarah Jane and Harry are brought to Tyrem's office, and he asks them why they have come to the asteroid. They hurriedly start to tell him of their arrival on the station in an effort to find the TARDIS. Tyrem says that Voris is afraid that they may have some sort of evidence against him, and that is why he's tried to kill them. He tells him of Vorus's ambition to make Voga a great power, but Tyrem says that he wants to keep their people safe in isolation that they have been in since their war with the Cybermen. Harry tells him about the Cybermat on the station, and Tyrem wonders if Vorus's actions have drawn the Cybermen to them. He then takes them to meet with Vorus so they can hear his side of the story. On the station, the Doctor asks the Cyber Leader what they promised Kalman in return for his aid. He says that in their current nomadic state, the Cybermen have nothing of worth to offer in return for aid. The Cyber Leader says that they will return to the greatness that they had before the Cyber War, and she says that they only lost because of Voga's gold resources, which they shared with humanity. The Cyber Leader says that once Voga is destroyed, the Cyber Race will be rebuilt to conquer the universe, and it then angrily starts to strangle the Doctor. The Doctor goes the Cyber Leader into throwing him towards the table, holding the explosives to be used to destroy Voga, and he then takes one, threatening to kill them all unless he gets answers. The cider leader surreptitiously presses an alarm on his chest plate, summoning a guard, and it distracts the doctor by saying that they offered Kelman power in return for his assistance. 
The guard appears and disarms the doctor, and he is sent to join Lester and Stevenson, and the bombs are strapped to them. Their harnesses are rigged to explode to attempt to take them off, but the cyber leader says that once they have reached the mine shaft, a timer will release the harnesses, and they will have 40 minutes to get off Volga. The doctor is sent down first, under guard to make sure he doesn't try to escape, and he is then followed by Lester, Stevenson, and another guard. They are suddenly ambushed by a squad of city militia, and the doctor leads the duo away, whilst the cybermen engage in a firefight with the militia. The Cybermen make short work of the city militia and report back to the cyber leader. It gets another report that Kalman has not returned, but it says that he is of no further use to them. On Voga, Kalman makes his way to the gold mine, but he is captured by the city militia. He says that he needs to speak to Vorus, but he is instead taken away to Tyron for questioning. He tells Tyron that he and Vorus were attempting to lure the Cybermen into a trap on the station, which they would then blow up with the Sky Striker rocket. A horrified Sarah Jane tells Harry that they need to warn the Doctor, but before they can do anything, Sephira arrives and tells Tyra about the arrival of the Cybermen. Tyron tells Sephira to order the militia to try and hold off the Cybermen, and he then takes the humans to speak to Vorus. They are forced to take cover when Vorus's men open fire on them as they approach, and Tyron orders them to let him speak to Vorus. Harry tells Sarah Jane to try and make her way back to the transmat so she can warn the Doctor about the Sky Striker, whilst he stays behind to deal with the rocket itself. Vorce appears and calls a ceasefire and is informed by Kalman of the presence of the Cybermen. Vorce initially thinks he's betrayed him, but Kalman says that he tried to stall them as long as he could. Tyrum then asks to be taken to see the Sky Striker, and Kalman asks where Sarah Jane is. At that moment, Sarah Jane arrives at the large lake and uses a motorized skiff to get, get across it, careful to avoid the firefight between the Cybermen and the Vulcans. She gets back to the transmit and arrives back at the station. She takes cover and overhears the cyber leader conversing with the Cybermen on Volga, who report that they have lost track of the Doctor and the others. The cyber leader says it doesn't matter, as the timer on the harnesses will actually detonate the bombs immediately. Back in Vorus's throne room, Tyron berates him for his plan, his partnership with Kelman, but Vorus replies that he did it so their people wouldn't have to live in fear. Harry interrupts their argument and says they need to find the Doctor and the others to stop the bombs. Kelman says that they can't get past the Cybermen holding the entrance, but Tyrum says that there is a ventilation tunnel that they can get around them. Meanwhile, the Doctor leads Stevenson and Lester deeper into the mines, saying that the heavier concentration of gold will prevent the Cybermen from tracking them via radar. He says that once the timer runs out, they can try and ambush the Cybermen. They then take a short rest, and the Doctor goes to explore a bit ahead. He comes across a blocked-off shaft, but suddenly the rocks start to push out. Unbeknownst to him, Harry and Kelman on the other side trying to get through, and their efforts cause a rock slide. Kelman is crushed to death, and the Doctor falls back down the slope amidst a pile of falling rocks. Harry closes Kelman's eyes before exiting the shaft, where he sees the Doctor unconscious. He goes down to help him and starts to undo the harness. Part 4 Lester tells Harry to stop, warning him about the booby trap. The Doctor comes to, and after asking Harry if he caused the rock slide, loudly proclaims him to be an imbecile before falling unconscious again. They manage to rouse him again, and Harry brings him up to speed on what has happened, telling him Sarah Jane is up on the station. The Doctor tells Stevenson to carry on towards the central shaft to draw the cyber leader's attention, whilst he and Harry and Lester will go back through the ventilation tunnel to ambush the Cybermen. En route, they gather up as much gold as they can to use against them. Meanwhile, Sarah Jane continues to hide whilst listening to the cyber leader receive reports from Volga and the progress of the countdown to the detonation. In Vorus's office, he and Tyrum accuse each other of causing the current scenario through their varying ideologies. Sephira interrupts them and informs them that the militia forces have been beaten back by the Cybermen. Tyrum leaves to assess the situation and the others follow him. 
Into the tunnels, the advancing Cybermen are ambushed by the Doctor and Harry, but their attempts to use the gold dust fail as the Cybermen easily beat them, forcing the Doctor and Harry to flee. Lester waits until they are clear before throwing himself in front of the Cybermen and releasing the harness, thereby activating the booby trap and eliminating both himself and the Cybermen. Up on the station, the disruption to communications is noticed by the Cyber Leader, who orders the remaining bombs to be detonated immediately. Sergeant rushes out and begs them to stop, but she's easily stopped, and the Cyber Leader activates the bombs, but nothing happens. Sergeant says that her plan has failed, but in her gloating, she accidentally reveals the existence of the Sky Striker rocket. The Cyber Leader says that if it is true, then it would have been fired by now, or if it is possibly malfunctioned. Either way, the Cyber Leader says that they will continue with their plan to destroy Boga. Meanwhile, the Doctor and Harry, having safely removed their harnesses, join Tyrum and the others in Forrest's office. Tyrum thanks them for their help, and then Magrick arrives, informing him that the Sky Striker is ready. The Doctor hurriedly asks them to delay the launch by 15 minutes so he can try and rescue Sarah Jane. Tyrum agrees, much to Vorce's annoyance, and gives him a bag of gold dust to help him deal with the Cybermen. As he leaves, the Doctor tells Harry to try and find Stevenson. Up in the station, Sarah Jane listens as the Cybermen discuss their current plan to load the remaining explosives onto the station and then send it on a crash course to Voga. The Cybermen then leave and a few moments later, the Doctor arrives and frees Sarah Jane. She tells him about the plan and he tells her that they will need to hurry and he takes the Cybermat and the control box. As the time comes down, Vors grows impatient and tries to launch the rocket but he is stopped by Tyrum and again they argue about the fate of Voga after the rocket is launched. Harry returns with Stevenson and they watch as the countdown continues. The Cybermen return to the control room and discover that Sarah Jane has been freed. The Cyber Leader terrorizes that the Doctor rescued her and orders the station to be searched. One of the Cybermen enters the room that they are hiding in and the Doctor controls the Cybermat to attack its chest unit, releasing the gold dust that he had earlier loaded into it. The Cyberman dies, but the celebration is short-lived as the station starts to maneuver into position to crash into Voga. This is noticed by Vorus and Magrick, and they go to launch the Sky Striker. Harry tries to stop them, but Vorus beats him to the ground before being grabbed by Stevenson. Magrick is shot by one of the city militia as he tries to launch the rocket. Vorus manages to overcome Stevenson, and then launches the rocket as he is shot by Tyrum, and he watches as it takes off before dying. The Doctor and Sarah Jane attack the Cyberman in the control room, managing to eliminate one using the Cybermat, but the Cyber Leader and the remaining Cybermen manage to subdue them. They tied them up and then leave them to die in the crashing station. The Doctor notices the rocket approaching via the view screen, and after he and Sarah Jane manage to get free of the ropes holding them, he contacts Volga. He says that the Cybermen have left on their own ship and tells Vorus to redirect the rocket. Stevenson tells him that Vorus is dead and that no one else knows how to use the controls for the rocket. The Doctor instructs Stevenson on how to use the controls and he manages to avoid the station at the last moment before aiming it at the Cybermen's ship, destroying it. Unfortunately, the Doctor notices that the controls for the station have been jammed and he rushes to the secondary controls for the gyro stabilizers, using a hand crank to operate them. He manages to change the trajectory of the station with the moments to spare and it skirts past Volga. Suddenly they hear the sound of the TARDIS and they watch as it materialises. The Doctor goes inside to make sure it is okay and Harry har- arrives back by the transmat. The Doctor then emerges from the TARDIS saying that they are needed back on Earth as the Brigadier sent him a time-space telegraph. With an exhausted sigh, Sarah Jane drags Harry into the TARDIS after him. End of the story. So, now that the Cybermen have failed in their attempts at revenge, we're going to go to the trivia spot. So, what have you got with us this week, Trish? 
So Revenge of the Cybermen aired from the 19th of April to the 10th of May 1975. The writer for the story is Jerry Davis. This is the fourth and final story written by Jerry. He, we previously saw his work in The Tenth Planet, The Highlanders and The Tomb of the Cybermen. The director of the story is Michael Bryant. This is story five of six for Michael. We previously saw his work in Colony in Space, The Sea Devils, The Green Death and Death of the Daleks. He has one more story to come, which is The Robots of Death. And speaking of the Sea Devils, they've recently made their big return. They have, indeed. Mm-hmm. And Paddy and I have yet to talk about that amongst ourselves. So yeah, we'll so be sticking pushed. on after we record to see what that's what it's like. <laughs> so Jerry Davis's original plot had nothing to do with what was transmitted in the episode. The action was largely in a deserted space casino. Ooh. That was the original plot. More rewriting followed. But still, it didn't look like what we saw in the story. So the action was largely on Nerva Beacon. Mm. There were no Vogons whatsoever. So just one second there now. This has to be really, really stated. These are Vogons, mm. not Vogons. Vogons are the guys that are afraid of towels and are extremely bureaucratic. True. There were no Vogons. Yeah. Fine. Yep. Yeah. There were no Vogons either. Um, yeah. There were no Vogons. Um, instead, there were... Welsh gold miners were involved. (laughs) (laughs) Fucking Evans. (laughs) And Robert Holmes largely rewrote the episodes. So Holmes added the Vogans. He got rid of the human gold miners entirely. As well as a female crew member of Nervabika named Anitra. She was also gone. Jerry Davis wasn't happy with this. Um, particularly the, this turned out to be his final contribution to the series and Robert Holmes basically rewrote all of it mm. also surprise surprise he disliked the title probably because it gave away what the hell was happening Yeah. if you're interested in Jerry's sort of not the original original story the space casino story but the original Cybermen story yeah. Big Finish did release it in March of 2021 with Sadie Miller providing the voice of Sarah Jane Smith and Tom Baker reprising his role as the fourth doctor. And it is Return of the Cybermen. I have listened to it. It is very good. And as well, like, even with the appearance of a Cybermat, the Cybermat looks completely different to any other Cybermats that we've previously mm-hmm. seen. So like, even then, you still wouldn't know what the hell was going on. Yeah. You might have an inkling, but... Yeah. And, you know, even if you, if you hadn't seen those earlier stories, it would have been a complete surprise to you. Oh, Joy, yeah, if you were a new fan, whatever. Yeah. Um, but no, Return of the Cybermen, I have it from Big Finish. I got it when it came out. Um, it is really good. Would recommend. So this story also wasn't meant to be the season finale of season 12. Originally, next week's story, Terror of the Zygons, was meant to be the season finale. And it was actually filmed as part of the season 12 block. But it didn't air until season 13. Now... This is one of those stories where, I don't know about you, right? But I always find it mm. really interesting when you hear all these stories about, like, you know, like, like the filming of, was it like Poltergeist or something? Uh, Poltergeist, The Omen, and The Exorcist all have stories surrounding the production yeah. of them. So does this story, right? So this was filmed at a place called Wookiee Hole Caves, okay? Which is a place that's kind of known for bad luck. And there were a number of things that happened... That literally, like, everyone who was on this production is like, no, no, that place is haunted. 
and something went wrong and all this stuff happened and so we had to fix it. So basically when they were doing the scouting for the location shoots, the director's wife had gone with them and she found an Iron Age arrowhead and she took them home. And the way the team describes it, she inadvertently cursed them all by that action. So, a couple of things. First, they had a strange individual in potholing gear wandered into set. No one had a clue who he is. And no one could account for him. And uh, our director, Michael Bryant, basically thought it was the ghost of an Irish potholer who had died in the cave three years earlier. Because no one remembers him coming in and no one remembers seeing him leave. The boats that were used in the cave scenes repeatedly broke down. One production member had to be replaced due to a severe attack of claustrophobia. Another was taken seriously ill. There was a particular formation um, which was called the Witch of Wookie Hole. So a particular stalag mice. Mites go up, tides come down. Uh, yeah, because yeah. it, uh, stalagmite has a G in it for ground and then stalactite, it's T for top. Okay, I just go with tights. Okay, that works too. Um, so there's a bigger stalagmite that, you know, was called the Witch of Wikihole, a bigger formation. Hmm. And they were told not to touch it. And one day, they touched it. Um, Elizabeth Sladen nearly died. So there's a scene where Sarah Jane is on the little boat thing. Mm-hmm. Her boat went absolutely haywire and started going in a direction she didn't want it to go towards a sinkhole. She had to dive off of the boat and one of the stuntmen had to swim out to get her in order to stop her from drowning and Mm. being sucked down the hole. That stuntman became very ill later on. Mm -hmm. And I can't remember, I think it might have been Stuart Fell. Or else it was the other main stunt guy that um, we've mentioned before, whose name I've oh, never ter- forgotten. Terry? Yeah. It was either Terry or Stuart. I think it was Terry. Um, but like they literally like were immediately like a shot into the water. Like, she literally had no control of this boat and the current, because it was actually like an under... The, the water actually had a current going through it, was mm. directing towards this sinkhole. Jesus Christ. And apparently it was petrified. Like, she was terrified. Like She nearly died. Um, also, an electrician broke his leg when a ladder collapsed underneath him. And the pyrotechnic person uh, found nothing would light or work correctly. Towards the end of production, uh, Michael Bryant took the arrowheads from his wife, reburied them, and apparently after that point, the production ran smoothly. If for no other reason, this is one of my favourite stories, because that shit is fucked up. It, it really is. And like listening to the audio commentary of the story, like they're all describing it like, no, 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 this wasn't like a series of unfortunate, we were fucking cursed. <laughs> and like, it's so mental that all of this happened within X amount of filming days or whatever. Yeah, because I remember reading this in the autobiography as well. Yeah. yeah. So this is the first story to feature the Cybermen since the evasion in 1968, which means it's also the first time we're seeing them in colour. Mm-hmm. Um, the working titles were Return of the Cybermen and then The Revenge of the Cybermen Return of the Cybermen obviously being the title Big Finish used mm-hmm. uh, and the The was dropped from Revenge also each of their episodes had their own title um, again a lot of people keeping in the own title piece even though that had been done away with back mm-hmm. you know uh, during the Gunfighters 
but they were the beacon in space, the plague carriers, the gold the gold miners, and the battle for Nerva. As you can imagine, a number of the sets were reused from the Ark in space, and we mentioned before that this was basically filmed directly after the Ark in space. Mm-hmm. Um, and obviously the costume change that Sarah Jane has is why she changed her clothes last week. Completely apropos yeah. of absolutely nothing. Originally, the Cybermen costumes were meant to be the ones from the invasion, but only two had really survived and they were in really shit condition. So that's why there are new outfits, uh, which is the chest panels and trousers, which are not tucked into their boots, which looks a little weird, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's why those are different. Mm-hmm. For people who are sort of, you know, big fans of the show from perhaps later in the run, um, the symbol that hangs in the Vogan audience chamber and the business on the Vogan costumes would later be reused uh, in The Deadly Assassin and became known after that as the Seal of Rassilon. So as someone who watched David Tennant's run and then mm-hmm. went back, I was waiting for some connection between the Vogans and the Time Lords. And it never came. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm still like in my own head, kind of bitter about uh, that appearance because it was uh, such a wasted potential in that role. I think. Mm. Yeah. So we have the TARDIS back on screen. This is the first time we've seen it since the Ark in space. So it was absent mm-hmm. for the last two stories. Uh, part three of the story is the 400th episode of Doctor Who. Apparently, yay. So we mentioned the bits about like how like this production was like cursed. Philip Hinchcliffe didn't like the production either. He felt it belonged in the old way of doing things. He didn't like the Vogans. He didn't like their masks. He didn't like the way that they were portrayed as like this Shakespearean projected shouting. Mm-hmm. And you can kind of tell it doesn't really match up with say, what we saw last week. It's a very different style of acting. Mm. He didn't like the music which was commissioned by Michael Bryant. It was scored by Kerry Blyton. Philip himself made substantial edits and changes to the score, um, ultimately getting the BBC Radio Workshop um, involved. And after this, Dudley Simpson would be the only composer employed in the show all the way through the end of season 17, with the exception of two serials, which were directed by Douglas Canfield, who didn't like working with Dudley Simpson. I think we've mentioned that before. We've been able to that before. I think we have. Yep. So the little radio transmitter hidden in the brush uh, that Kelman uses is actually mm-hmm. the very same prop that appears in Live and Let Die, James Bond movie with one of my favourite songs in it. The prop was handed over to the BBC by Roger Moore. He basically told the Radio Times later on that the props master who didn't recognise Roger Moore <laughs> paid him two shillings and sixpence which is 12.5p in decimal currency, obviously not adjusted for inflation, mm-hmm. uh, for the item. And according to Roger Moore, he'd popped into the Beeb, meaning the BBC, for a cup of tea and spotted a notice about an upcoming Doctor Who. So I thought the darlings would be so cash-strapped they'd need anything that they could get their hands on. It wasn't MGM after all. But I didn't expect to walk out with two and six. I, I love Roger Moore. Like, he gets an awful lot of flack for his bond, and his bond can be very fucking campy, but it's just so intrinsically Roger Moore. It's amazing. Yeah, well, I love the way he's just like, you know, oh, it's down the BBC, and they're talking about upcoming Doctor Who's. And the BBC doesn't have that much money, so you know what? I'll, I'll, give them, <laughs> I'll give them one of my props and see how they get on with it. I'm sure they gave me two and six. Isn't that great? Yeah. 
the masks that were worn by the principal Vogans, so mm. Voris and um, Tyrum and stuff like that, uh, they were specifically molded to those actors' faces. The non-speaking Vogans, though, didn't get the same treatment. They all had masks that were taken from one particular facial mold, and that was it. Which is why their face masks are a bit shit. In comparison, in my opinion. And I see, okay, Trish gives out to me for this, but I, in order to keep up with her trivia thing, mm. I take a look at her trivia notes. Mm. I stopped then afterwards. Yeah. But I just saw like the name of the person who the facial mold is of. Yes, which is Arnold Ridley. Yes, who is Godfrey from Dad's Army, but is also the great granduncle of Daisy Ridley, oh, really? Ray from Star Wars. Yes. Oh. I had no idea who he was, so I wasn't going to read that sentence. Yep. So thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. One of the Vogan costumes was later reused in Blake 7 in the episode Warlord. Still having the sort of seal of Rassilon design <laughs> on it. So let's talk about our cast. So as Stevenson, we have Ronald Lee Hunt. This is the second and final story for Ronald. We previously saw him in The Seeds of Death. Mm-hmm. As Lester, we have William Marlowe. This is also his second Doctor Who appearance. We previously saw him in The Mind of Evil. I thought I recognised him. Yep. Tyrum is played by Kevin Stoney. This is his third and final appearance. We previously saw him in the Daleks' master plan, where he was Maverick Chen, and in the evasion, when he was Tobias Vaughn. I am so annoyed that he's a right-hand man, and this wasn't called Packer. Yeah. Voris is played by David Collings. This is the first of three Doctor Who appearances for David. We'll see him again in The Robots of Death and Mordron Undead. He has also contributed to a number of audio stories and audiobooks. His non-Who credits include Scrooge, Monkey, Point Counterpoint, Midnight is a Place, and Breakaway. David passed away in 2020. Kelman is played by Jeremy Wilkin. This is his only Doctor Who acting credit. His non-Who credits include Captain Scarlet and the Mysterons, Thunderbird 6, The Secret Service, Blake 7, and UFO. Jeremy <laughs> passed away in 2007. So Sorry. Before uh, before you go yeah, into your group, uh, Jeremy passed away in 2017. No, I just thought you were saying he was in Captain Scarlet and the Mysterons and, uh, what was it, Thunderbirds? It's a case of, well, his acting was kind of wooden. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, lastly, I've included him just because we're going to be discussing the Cybermen. This is the first sort of inclusion of the Cyber Leader um, in a sort of like titled, like people referring to him as such. Mm-hmm. Um, and the Cyber Leader in this story is Christopher Robbie. This is his second and final appearance. He previously played the Carcass in The Mind Robber, which is the superhero that um, mm-hmm. they thought up. And his non-who credits include The Big Battalions, The Avengers, and UFO. Oh. On a somewhat sadder note, between the broadcasts of Parts 1 and Parts 2, William Hartnell, who played the first Doctor, passed away. So sad to hear. So, we've done our story summary. Thank you very much. We have done our trivia. Thank me very much. Mm -hmm. And now we're on to our character discussion. So, we have the Doctor. We have Mm -hmm. our companions of Sarah Jane and Harry. We have our prominent characters, who we have Stevenson, Lester, and Tyrum. And then we have our villains of Voris, Kelman, and the Cybermen. So, Paddy, I'm going to hand it to you. Thoughts mm-hmm. on the Doctor, please. All right. So, we'll get the negative stuff out of the way first, I think. Mm-hmm. All right. Stop being a dick to Harry. 
like, my brain it, just went Tom, Dick and Harry. But go on. Yeah. <laughs> like it, 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 it comes out of nowhere. Mm. Like, you know, he's all, he's all chuckles with him at the start, you know, like the whole, you know, can I keep this as a souvenir? Well, of course you can, Harry. And then like, ha ha ha, as mm. it vanishes. And then it's like, okay, he does nearly lose the arm. Mm. And thank you, know, like, you know, Sarah, Sarah Jane is able to stop it. And he gives her a smile of thank you. And then he just gives her, he gives him this look of, you know, I'll fucking gut you or something like that. And then he walks off. Um, the imbecile line. It, like shades of you know Troughton and Pertwee in that mm. in the sense of how was he to know that it was fucking booby trapped mm. yes. yeah it's, it's you know it makes for a funny moment mm. but it's still a fucking bitch move to make <laughs> also you have a time machine I know you're in an urgent rush to get back to the Brigadier but you could at least make sure that Stevenson is safe <laughs> <laughs> you know, like bring him back to the space station or at least ensure that he's okay on Voga or something like that. Harry seems to be the only one that cares about the poor fucking guy who is the sole survivor of the fucking crew. Yeah, well, bear in uh, mind, they could also use their time machine to go to space station Nova in the future and make sure that mm-hmm. Lyra is okay. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Also yeah, the exactly. sole survivor. Yeah. Well, obviously the sole Awake survivor. Yeah, so awake survivor. (laughs) Um, Yeah, so I think those were the two main negative points Mm. that I had about him. Uh, Onto the more positive side of things. I like seeing his relationship with Sarah Jane, like all the little quirks and like, you know, the whistling when he Mm. rides back on the station to make sure the the coast is clear. Which is funny because Elizabeth Sladen apparently can't whistle. Yeah, I was going to go, because again, she just does like one note. <laughs> yeah, this, is like, yeah, um, this will become important, like several stories from now. Um, there's so many like Tom moments mm. in this, like the scene where himself, Stevenson and Lester are all kind of like just sitting in a row and they're doing hear no evil, see no evil, speak no evil. <laughs> I, th- I thought that was fucking brilliant. I'm going to imagine that it was Tom that suggested It probably that. was, yeah. Yeah, but like, he's just his facial expressions. Um, I did like his moment of ingenuity when like, he was interrogating Kelman. Mm. And I'll just say this now, because you, you might as well hear it. You know, it it'll help us. It, I think it'll help like, kind of vent some of it. Fuck Kelman. Yes. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I, li- I like that uh, part of it. Like it's, I wouldn't say it's like the best we've seen of the Doctor thus far. Mm. Um like there's there there's as the band said at the at the start rough with the smooth yeah yeah I'd agree um, for the most part I think like there's nothing I think the newest thing we see for the doctor here um and it's not new for the doctor overall mm-hmm. but being honest it's something we haven't seen for a very long time at this level is mm-hmm. how absolutely petrified he is for Sarah Jane yeah. That is good to see when you have Harry sort of trying to egg him on. He's like, I know, I know. Will you shut the fuck up? <laughs> like, I'm trying to fix it. And the fact that, like, I mean, at one point you kind of think he's blinded himself mm. in order to fix it. Um, That was really good to see. Um, And I agree with you. I think we can see kind of like a preference of companion here in that he treats Sarah very differently to Harry. So, like, to your point... You know, the whole thing with the door. He asked Sarah and Harry to make sure the door didn't chop his arm off. They both Mm -hmm. failed at that. Mm -hmm. They rushed through the door and it was Sarah who closed it and then, you know, got his arm through and opened it up again. But like, 
only one of them could do that. What what did he expect Harry to do? Mm. Do you know? Um, I think the Harry Sullivan is an imbecile line is it it wasn't obviously just because of the bomb belt, mm. which just reminds me of there's an episode of Charlie's Angels where she wears a bomb belt and it just it just constantly reminds me of that. Mm. Um it's because Harry caused the rocks to fall. But, but again, Harry doesn't know that there's people on the other side of the fucking thing. Yeah, but Harry, before you push through rocks, check if there's someone on the other side. Um, my issue with that, though, is it's a line that you sort of, you think of straight away. Like, Harry Sullivan's like, oh, Harry Sullivan is an imbecile. And Harry Sullivan, you fan, you ham-fisted it. Those two things kind of go together in terms of how mm. the Doctor describes Harry. And why, like, I've always kind of thought that line was unfair anyway. Um. But I actually think it's also incredibly callous from a viewer's perspective. Mm. Because although he was an asshole, Kelman is dead. He died yeah. in the rock fall. Mm-hmm. And so to suddenly have it be this funny thing of Harry Silver's an imbecile or whatever, it, it also it comes across as a bit callous. Like I know we weren't meant to like Kelman, but like the guy died, like. You know, it shouldn't be a, did you cause the rocks to fall? Yes. Did you try to take off the thing? Yes. Or whatever. So I, 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 don't know, I think that's more of a, a, a script just in the The one thing that did surprise me about the doctor in this one, mm-hmm. his response to Lester's self-sacrifice. Did he know Lester was going to do that? Was that the plan? Doubtful. Because he doesn't seem like you would kind of expect him to be like, why did he do that? That was unnecessary or whatever. But he just sort of checks on him and moves on. Mm. And I get that there's a bit of an urgency, which I'll get to later on, but like, it just seemed very heartless, his response to it. Yeah, like I... The... Because they all had gold dust yeah. in their hands. Like, what the hell happened yeah. with that? Like, I, I, I think there is... Uh, yeah, disparity, I think, is the right word in terms of like the um, the grief. Like, and I'm going to say it about Harry as well. Mm. The grief shown by Harry towards Kelman's passing mm. to Lester's passing. Yeah, as uh, yeah, like, it's 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 a weird one. Like, but maybe, like, I suppose if you think about it, they've witnessed. They witnessed uh, what's his name, dude on the ark. Oh yeah. His self sacrifice. Mm. Um, then I suppose the the fucking unbridled slaughter that was Genesis. I mm. know we've seen Lester. Mm. Maybe it's like this kind of like immunization type thing to it, in the sense of like because because everything is just so back to back to back. And I know, like, that's not what we really want to say mm. about the doctor. Like, you know, it's like everything should hit him to the same. Mm. But like, given the urgency and given like how, like, for them, like the last, what do you want to call it, like twenty four hours, mm. has been just this never ending cycle of fucking danger, death, and destruction. Yeah, and I get that. I just think for the doctor, I would have expected more of a sort of like that wasn't the plan. Yeah, why didn't no, he not, stick yeah. to the plan type thing? Because yeah, we do show it. all three of them having gold dust in their hands. Mm. And it clearly didn't work for mm. Harry and the Doctor. But, like, would it have worked if all three of them had jumped in? Who knows? So, 
that one I think I don't know I just even a line one line yeah. could have brought that back but I mean the rest of it like we said his bits with Sarah are just fantastic I'll talk more about that in a minute Um, his you know the way he is I particularly like the way he is with Stevenson mm-hmm. he's you know very understanding he's very accepting he doesn't like there's no bluster there that we may see with previous doctors. Do you know? No. He takes the time. He explains, you know, yeah, he may have to run off. But when he comes back, he explains everything and so on. So I think there are there is good in the doctor in the story, certainly. Mm. Um, but it's a couple of things that are sort of like, hmm. Yeah. You're being a bit of a dick. Yeah. I think this is probably like, since we've seen the start of Tom's run, probably the most divisive. Yeah, I think it's, I think it's the most dickish he's been. Yeah. yeah. Cool. So, Sarah Jane next? I love Sarah Jane. I do. Mm-hmm. With an almost unrivaled passion, if I'm honest. <laughs> Her attitude towards Harry in this story is a bit much. And comes across as super bitchy. Mm. Like, I get that there's moments where, like, when she wakes up, she has no clue what the fuck is going on. Right? Yeah. That's fine. Or that's understandable. Do you know what I mean? She's like, what the fuck? Put me down. What the hell is this? What are you talking about? But like, she gets so angry with him mm. at everything, and it's like, dude, like, tone it down a little bit. Like, well, I, I suppose like she she wasn't too happy with the fact that he said she had ankles the size of like like a cart horse or something like that. Yeah, but even before that though, yeah, it was coming across as really bitchy. Like, the initial, like, when she obviously wakes up from being transmitted, okay, that you can kind of be like, okay, that's understandable. Mm. But, like, everything that comes after that, she's kind of being really bitchy to him. Mm. For no reason. Like, he's being really nice to her. For the most part, I'll get to the, I'll get to the comments about the ankles in a minute. Mm. But, like, she's being a bit of a dick. And I'm like, why are you being mean to him? You know, it just comes across as a bit much. Like, we saw a little bit of that in Robot, where she'd go from being really friendly to him, being like, oh yeah, fucking James Bond is it? Mm. Which is funny. Here, it's not funny. Do you know? And, yeah. I, I don't know, I suppose, looking at it from, like, a sort of reverse perspective, um, is this how people sometimes think I treat you? Because <laughs> <laughs> we have been, we have, we have been asked about that before. Um, yeah. So I think I think her attitude towards Harry is a little bit much here. Um, yeah. Well, see, I think it's like the, the the major difference being is that like I'm in on the joke. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. <laughs> I did love her moments with the Doctor. Um, given mm. how often she's been separate from him in recent stories, it was really good to see how much they do care for each other, mm. and like how much they're willing to go to bat for each other. And like even though the Doctor said like she went up to the space station for me i have mm-hmm. to do the same for her mm-hmm. which is lovely um i love the little like the two of them spinning around in a circle trying to look mm. at the view screen her you know him being her like when he was trying when she was trying to get her her arms free and she's like well you must have tried it wrong <laughs> like this yeah. sort of banter back and forth between them i thought was great um it's something we haven't seen a whole lot this season just because they haven't been in the situation where the story allows for that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, particularly in Genesis, like, not the story <laughs> no, for that type no, of thing. G- Jesus Christ, no. Um, in Santarin, we saw a little bit of that tenderness 
um, in a good way. Um, but it was nice to see them here, sort of like this banter that like Liz and Tom were so famous for. I think is yeah. really good. Um, it's actually interesting that you kind of say that in the sense of like you know, like the story isn't the place for it. And it's like if you think about like the, the if for most Doctor Who stories of this coming era. Mm-hmm. Like you'd say like there's not really a lot of room for fucking any humor. No, in but it. and there's but, the stories are presented but, differently. Yeah, you know, it, like we've got one coming up now in a couple of weeks, pyramids. Yeah, like and like that's super hammer horror vibes. Mm. But at the same time, because it's hammer horror, you can add a little bit of small bit of campy humor to kind yeah. of creep in. I think. But like there's like if you think about Genesis, there is zero humor in Genesis. No. Yeah, no, no, no. So this sort of like double backing and stuff like that wouldn't have worked in Genesis. Yeah. It may have worked in Ark a bit. Um, and it would have worked in Robot. Um, yeah. But Sontaran and Genesis, not so much. Um, yeah. One thing I would say is, Sarah, don't just tell the Cybermen everything. You say that Sarah inadvertently let slip. She mentions yeah. or the Vogans will and then she stops. Yeah, And the Cybermen's like, the Vogans will watch. And then she just says, "Ah, oh, fuck it. I'm here now. They're just going to nag me until I tell them. But that's, the Vogans have mean. a rocket and they're going to shoot at you. It's like, Sarah, at least try. I mean, that's what I mean. Like, she, like, by saying the Vogans will, and then she, that's the inadvertent thing. Because like, she's given away. Like, she should have just fucking shut up the, the Vogans first place. will do something. But like, <laughs> the fact that they're like, the Vogans will do what? She doesn't even try to say, like, I'm not going to tell you. You can't get me. She's like, oh, fuck's sake. They have a rocket. And they've aimed at the space station. And they're going to kill you. And Kelman betrayed you. And I'm just going to tell you their entire... Like, dude, at least try. Like, at least, like <laughs> last more than a minute. <laughs> yeah. It's, <laughs> so, it's not as if you're, like, you're fucking dealing with Wonder Woman's lasso of truth, like, you know. Yeah, you're, like... Was it, like, Kelman who said, like, oh, she'll tell them everything? Yeah. And I was like, don't prove him right. Like at least try to with- withhold information a little bit. At least, yeah. at least allow him to threaten you first. <laughs> Anyone but Kelman. Don't prove. Please don't prove Kelman right. Um. But yeah. So I think I think for Sarah, this is sort of a mixed story. Um. I will say. Um. The scene where like she's dying. Mm-hmm. It, Liz was really good. Like mm. that was played really well by Liz and Ian and Tom. Mm-hmm. played their reactions to that incredibly well as well yeah like we've had sarah be in trouble in previous stories but like this one was like we're literally told she will die in five minutes yeah um and i think that was done really well on all parts i think even sarah's realization at the end like when she comes to and like harry's just holding her she's like what, mm. what's going on or whatever i thought i thought that was done really well yeah no that that sequence is done great like you know how about you what what were your thoughts on sarah um so yeah i do agree about the whole you know jesus christ will you just fucking shut your mouth stop blabbering <laughs> like stop like like vicarious like you're like you haha victory fuck you oh wait though no, i was still captive here gotcha <laughs> you still hold some cards um the one thing that kind of stands out to me and mm. like i like is again like when you made the point of you know her attitudes towards harry's kind of bitchy sometimes like i sometimes you kind of get the um, you do get the feel it's like when you have like two really good friends and then you have an other friend mm. but then like that other person isn't so much like in the the group you know mm. they're there but they're not there type thing 
sometimes I get a sense of that between the tri- this trio, mm. you know? So, yeah, like, sometimes I think there's a bit of, like, you know, oh, well, I'm the better friend, so, like, mm. you know, I can be a bit meaner. Um, but the one thing that kind of really stands out to me is, like, for the majority of the story, the woman is fucking fearless. Oh, yeah. Like, I mean, going through, like, an active firefight between Cybermen and fucking Vogans in an unknown cave system, mm. like, across a fucking big fucking lake, you know, like, with very poor lighting now, mind <laughs> you, you know, to go back onto a space station where the situation is unknown. All you know is that the Doctor could be captive and there's lots of Cybermen around by yourself. Mm. Like, you know, that's, it's pretty fucking ballsy, you know? And then to stay there. She then knows the Doctor there. isn't there. Yeah. She could yeah, have then... left. They wouldn't have known. Mm-hmm. But she, she chooses to stay. Mm-hmm. To, to, to like, try and see if there's something that she can do mm. or to see what the plan is. And then, like, with no weapons or anything like that. No, that might, this might be, be kind of, like, over-fucking, you know, glamorizing or whatever it might be. But then when, like, the, the, the cyber leader is about to activate the, the bombs remotely, mm. like, she's got nothing, but she just dashes out and tries to get him to stop. Mm. It's like it's fucking a human mm. against four Cybermen yeah. with nothing. It's like, you tried. <laughs> and by by the end of it, it's like, Jesus Christ, the woman just wants to have a bath and a glass of wine. Like, you're like, you, you, like, you're like, going, like I just want to rest for five minutes. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, that, that's my kind of thoughts on Sarah Jane. Before we jump into Harry, I do want to mm-hmm. call it. So we, we mentioned previously uh, the book Scratchman. Yes. That um, Tom wrote. Mm-hmm. I did re-listen to Scratchman um, mm-hmm. when I was uh, away uh, through the weekend. It's yeah. so good. It's mm. so good. But what I will say and the reason why I bring it up is the different treatment of Harry and Sarah Jane. And this is going to sort of lead into Harry a little bit. Mm. The way they're treated in Scratchman is a lot mm-hmm. like this. Mm-hmm. In that... Sarah Jane is treated nicer overall <laughs> mm. than Harry is. Um, yeah. You know, and Harry, you know, it's a great book and I strongly advise everyone to go read it. But like Harry is kind of like the butt of the joke mm-hmm. a lot. Um, even like there's one point where it kind of undersells Harry's physicality and stuff like that, which I think, yeah. which I, which I think is unnecessary. Um, but just because we we mentioned it before and we're talking here about how the characters are treated differently, like this is sort of when this isn't just a one off. This is how mm. these three characters are portrayed across the board. That it's mm. Sarah and the Doctor with Harry, and mm. Harry is an imbecile. <laughs> <laughs> so let's talk about Harry. The thing I think I I love about Harry, okay, mm. it's it's like I'll get into my thoughts about him in this one, but Ian Marker's performance in as Harry over what the of the five stories that we've seen so far mm. is probably the one of the best consistently well paced and acted character arcs I've seen in terms of a companion. Mm. Because, I have a comment on this, but finish. But just okay. put a pin in. I have a comment. Yeah, because like, like just 
as as it goes on, we can see the adrenaline the adrenaline rush that mm-hmm. he's been having the last two stories specifically is starting to wane now, mm-hmm. and the exhaustion of of him being out of his element is starting to show, mm-hmm. and like it's in the like it's really kind of in the um, like when he's trying to explain to the doctor, you know, about like what's going on after he. Uh, I think in episode four, mm. and he's like, you know, oh, I'm sorry, I'm terrible with names. You're the Vogans and the Cyber and all this kind of stuff, you know. Mm. It again, kind of played for laughs, but it's like it's the fucking stress of a character that's completely out of his out of his element mm. and is doing his best to keep up and put on that brave old guard face, mm. you know, like the fucking the the the, the dinner jacket, you know, the, the the or the club jacket. It's like just that whole thing. Um. And I just like I've been loving Eden Mar- I I always knew like you know I always like remembered liking Harry mm. right and obviously the writing is there for him mm. but a lot of it is down to Ian Marker yeah. Ian Marker is just fucking fantastic and I cannot wait to discuss his rambling mm. um but in terms of kind of like your standoutish moments probably that sequence with. Uh, after Sarah Jane gets bitten, mm. because the doc, you know, the Harry, the doctor, fucking rushes in, and mm. he, he does his he does his best for Warner at the start as well, and he's doing his best for Sarah Jane and the concern, and he's just there to come on, Doctor, hurry up, she's fading, you mm. know, it's like, it's a great sequence, mm. all like kind of like last week with the whole do I have the right speech? They all added mm. to this phenomenal thing. This I think is probably an underrated sequence from mm. their time together. So overall, I think this is a, I really enjoyed, like he doesn't do a whole lot, mm. but I really enjoyed uh, Harry in this one. Mm. My initial thoughts are poor Harry because everyone treats yeah. him like crap. Um, yeah. Though Harry, you should never tell a woman she has thick ankles when she's already no. angry with you. Yeah. No, 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 it, no, no, no. It, it doesn't work. I put a pin in you saying that Carrie has the most consistent character progression. Mm-hmm. This story feels like a step back for me. Not on Ian's side. Ian's still fabulous. Ian's amazing. Mm-hmm. But, and this may be because of the recording order, or it may just be, I don't know, the way the stories were written. The Ian we, or the Harry we saw in Sontaran and Genesis, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Harry the imbecile was nowhere present. Harry the ham-fisted idiot was nowhere present. Hmm. And now we're back to that again. Do you know? It almost hmm. seems that Harry's progression in terms of his awareness of the greater universe and his growth as a person and sort of moving beyond the, you know, oh, you know, he popped off, old girl, and whatever mm-hmm. um, thing. It almost seems like that progression goes robot arc Cybermen Santar in Genesis. Hmm. Cyberman seems out of place by coming at the end because, like, the Harry that we saw in Santar and Genesis, yeah, he fell down a hole. Mm-hmm. but And he got his foot stuck in a giant clam. Mm-hmm. But he was still good. He was still kind. He was still Dr. Sullivan. Mm-hmm. But he wasn't being portrayed as this fucking klutz. Do you know? Whereas here, the klutziness yeah. is back. And I don't like that because we had seen him move beyond being a klutz. 
No, I, no, I, I can see that, and I think that's why, that's why my whole thing about like, you know, oh, like maybe the adrenaline rush of the previous two stories is fading, and mm. he's like kind of going back to what he was. Maybe I just think that that's you know I'd rather he didn't go back to being Harry the Klutz to be honest. Yeah, and like again, like it's probably the fact that um, what is it? It's shot out of order. Yeah, like so, and like that if it had if it was if it was aired in the order that it was shot hmm. like yeah absolutely I I suppose this is me just trying to rationalise hmm. <laughs> rationalise it um, but I but like but there there's the thing is like I actually like the idea of Harry having like these like amazing you know moments where like Harry is like just this rock solid person but then he just reaches this point where like you know okay I'm fucking tapped out and it's well that's fine and I like that hmm. but I don't like the fact that the final story of the season, mm. Harry Sullivan and imbecile. That's yeah. the line people remember. They remember Harry Sullivan as a ham-fisted idiot. Yeah. And they remember Harry Sullivan as an imbecile. Mm-hmm. And the Harry we got last week, who was still kind, who was still nice, who was still Harry, yeah, gets forgotten. The competent soldier, the, you know, the lieutenant in the navy, he kind of gets lost a little bit. Yeah, and no, I don't I, like that. I, yeah, I, I, I see that. I see that. One thing as well about this story is, like I said, Harry doesn't do a whole lot once they get to Voga. That, no. that's it. Um, I would have liked to have seen more Doctor Sullivan here. This is a prime story. We have something perceived as a plague that we later find out was a poison. Mm-hmm. Harry's a doctor. Mm-hmm. Let him do doctor stuff. Yeah. Do you know? Have maybe have one of the Vogans get injected by the Cybermat and you know it reacts different to their physiology and you've got Harry trying to save them and trying to come up with an antidote for the Cybermat poison. Do you know? Um I think there's a bit of a missed opportunity for more of Dr. Sullivan here because even though he's trying to help Warner and he tries to help Sarah. He doesn't actually do anything. Mm. He is yeah. concerned. But that's it. He is concerned from a medical perspective. He, you know, but even, you know, like he's looking after uh, Warner and it's Sarah that's taking his heartbeat. <laughs> <laughs> she's taking his pulse. Yeah. Um, no, she's taking it, you know, under Harry's direction, obviously. But mm. um, I would have liked to have seen more Dr. Sullivan here. I think this would have been the prime story to have it. Mm-hmm. And perhaps less Vogons, but we can get to that. <laughs> Vogans, yeah. rather than Vogans. Vogans, but we can get to that in a little bit. Mm-hmm. Cool. So, prominent characters now. We have Stevenson, Lester, and we also have Tyrum, mm. but um, we're going to discuss Tyrum and Vorus together. Yeah. Okay. So, Stevenson. I think Stevenson is a really good leader. Mm. I think he's one of the best we've seen in a while. Yep. Um, I think Kellerman was right. Hmm. I don't think Stevenson would ever have shot him. Yeah, it was like a fucking remarkable restraint hmm. on the man's part. He wanted to. Oh, he so wanted to. But he's one of those guys where you know he never would. Yeah. Because law and order and everyone has a right to appeal and all this kind of stuff yeah. you know is hanging over the back of his head. 
and like it's it, when you take into account like, that he said like you know I've lost men and I've some of them ha- are my dearest friends mm. and it's like or closest friends and it's like oh man that fucking trigger was being squeezed <laughs> yeah one of my favorite things about Stevenson in this story mm-hmm. is on two different occasions they kind of like when they're you know descending into Bogo and they have the bomb packs on them whatever. He sort of makes the comment about how he's a bit old for doing mm. this. You know, they take breaks for his benefit and stuff like that. I love how he completely willingly is like, yep, yeah, I will continue moving on with the bomb. So with mm. the bomb still attached to him, he will continue this descent into Boga while the others yeah. are going back. And I love that there's no question about it. It's like, yep, yeah, mm. I'll do that. Perhaps knowing that because of his age, while the descent into Boga is hard, he wouldn't be the best in a fight. Mm, yeah, I can see that. Do you know, and I love the fact that, like, even though he's been, he, he hasn't been complaining, but like they, they did make like two or three mentions of the fact that yeah. he was finding the descent difficult. Yeah. He's just like, yeah, I'll keep going. Yep, mm. not a problem. With the bomb still attached to him, like he's now wandering on his own, not knowing if he's randomly going to blow up. Yeah. Um, I, I love that. I don't I don't know what there is about that sequence. I just really, really liked it. I thought it spoke really well to who he is as a leader. He doesn't need to be at the front. Yeah. He can no, no. be off doing the <laughs> like the drone thing of I will walk so the radar is following me. No problem. He's walking to nowhere mm-hmm. to meet no one <laughs> to possibly die alone by being blown up in a cave. But he'll do it anyway because the best thing to do for the plan to work. Yeah. Which I, I just, I, I love that about him. I thought that was great. Anything else you wanted to add for Stevenson? Like, as I said, like, you know, the, the restraint for thing is remarkable because like, honest, honestly, like, my feelings for Kelman are going to be made very, very vocal soon. Mm-hmm. But I honestly, putting myself in Stevenson's shoes, mm. I don't know if I would have had the same restraint. I don't think I would have either. Yeah, uh, I I really don't. Um, like I, and like it's like some character like no like a very few characters that we would we have seen before. He isn't adversarial to the Doctor, mm. or at least for very long, because the minute the Doctor and Harry go to try and help Warner, mm. he lets them do their thing. No, the Doctor says, "Look, my my friend is like a, is trained in medicine. Like, like mm. it's like a- anything." Anything to save what the one of the last of his men, mm. you know, um, I like I like that. Yeah, I I like that because we don't have this whole fucking thing of you know, oh, having a gun on the doctor the whole mm. fuck the group the whole time, you know that type of shit, you know. I also like how um, he didn't hold like he clearly like, he attacked Voris at one point to yeah. stop the the rocket launch, but he didn't yeah. hold it against the other Vogans. No, no, which and like given given like the. The attitudes of the Vulcans towards the humans, mm. like no, like it's just he's a smart guy. Like he mm. can he can read the room. Like he mm. knows where the fucking divisions are. Um, no, he he was a good character. I really liked him. Yeah, okay. And then we have Lester, who I, I kind of enjoyed. The, his sec his self sacrifice is not something I saw coming. Mm. Neither did I. And I had forgotten that when he jumped off the ledge, what he was going to do. Mm-hmm. I thought it was that the other two were meant to sort of like get the initial attack on the Cyberman, and then he jumps down and he also attacks with Goldust. I had forgotten yeah. what came next. 
I do wonder if it was necessary though. Um, well, I think because we never we never find out if that was the plan, because the doctor doesn't say a line to that effect. Do you know? I don't. I don't think it was the plan. I think you probably you are right in thinking that maybe the the plan was for the doctor and Harry to make the initial assault, hmm. and then Lester to come in and like be the the fucking I suppose the hammer to the anvil hmm. type thing. But if you think about it, okay. Like, I know he's watching the fight mm. and Harry and the Doctor both lose their handful of gold dust. Mm. Okay. And Lester goes there, okay, I have one shot at this to take one of them down. Mm. At which point we've lost the element of surprise and we're probably, like, potentially we're all going to be killed. Mm. I think what he did was probably in the effort to either all three of us can die mm. And one Cyberman can still fucking carry out the job. Mm. Or one of us can die and the Cybermen are eliminated. Yeah. I think that's I think that was his mentality. Yeah, I think so too. I think I was like, I think I think because the story didn't give it the recognition it deserved. It it it, it didn't. It like it, it and it's it's unfortunate because like he's like for from the entire episode. For like sorry, for the entire story, he is incredibly loyal to Stevenson. Yeah. To the sense of like, you know, there's no like you know, why the hell are we still here type mm. shit. Like, no, it's you're like you're you're my I'm your XO or I'm your two IC, whatever way you want to put it. We're here till the job gets done. Yeah. And I really like that. And what makes his sacrifice so it's so poignant but pointless. Is that you know again, Kelman's actions caused it. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. I think that's the other thing is that we don't see anyone because we don't see the we don't see Harry meeting up with Stevenson. No. We also don't we, see we, anyone telling Stevenson what happened. Yeah, we like, we don't get the reaction. Yeah, which I think the sacrifice and the way it was shown deserved. It deserved mm. a reaction, vocal. From someone, yeah. It, and if it's it, not it going to be the that. doctor, it should have been Harry. Yeah. Um, who shouldn't be as numb to it no. as maybe the doctor might be after all this time. Yeah. Cool. So then so we not... have Tyrum, and then into the villains category with Voris. Now you said you want to discuss these two together. Yes, because. What watching this, okay? Mm. So, Tyrum and Vorus represent the two heads of of two different groups within Vogan society. Mm-hmm. Vorus is the head of the Guardians, so they are the ancestral protectors of the gold mines, mm-hmm. okay? And uh, Tyrum is a counselor for like the city, so the administrative type deal and stuff. Mm-hmm. If you think about like the sense rights, you know, where everyone's kind of like assigned a role type thing. But clearly the Guardians hold a lot of sway and Voris as their leader has, um, an, yeah, he's, he's an elected official, mm. essentially, you know. But their interactions uh, kind of reminded me of, I'm going to super local on mm-hmm. this, um, the relationship between Michael Collins and Eamon de Valera here from Ireland, mm. who were both members of the IRA. Uh, during the Irish War for Independence, but then were on opposite sides during the Civil War. 
uh, due to like certain actions taken by one or the other and what it is, but their relationship mm. in their, in they both acted in what they think is the right step for their people. Mm. And like, so Tyrone's whole thing is like, we are safe in the shadows. Mm. Like our people are fucking, there's no fear of anyone causing us any harm because like as we see the greed for gold or the lust for gold mm. is f- fucking horrible and like it's not just the cybermen he's worried about it's humanity it's whatever race is out there whereas Vorus's whole thing with gold comes power and with power we gain respect and we become a mighty fucking you know thing it's like <laughs> your Tyrum's view for his people is where is I compare him to Michael Collins. Mm. Okay? That's my comparison there. Voris's thing comes from this egotistical arrogance because his dying words are my glory yeah. when the rocket takes off. And it's like not because, you know, it's not because of the fact, you know, like, oh, I'll have eliminated the Cybermen. It's I'll have eliminated the Cybermen, but I won't be around to receive the credit. Mm. You know, it's like, and it's just like, you're willing to fucking risk it missing Mm. And all the deaths of your fucking people for your own ego. Um, so, like, that that's where that analogy comes from. Yeah. Yeah. Um, no, don't, like, Tyrum isn't without fault either. Because, mm. uh, like, he does seem, like, he, he doesn't, he's not in favor of outsiders being on Volga. Yeah. And I would like to have known how he's going to treat Stevenson. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um but like, at least he still wants to do the right thing. Yeah, like think, he helps to do the right thing. I was when you said to me before we before we started recording that you wanted to talk to them together because of the Michael Collins Devil Air thing. I was like, because obviously Michael Collins was the action man within that duo. Yeah. Do you know, mm-hmm. he was the one who led the IRA and all that kind of stuff. And when we're talking about the IRA here, we're not talking about the IRA of the 70s and 80s. We're talking about the, no. the original. The, the originals in the original. Irish War for Independence from 16 to 20. Yes. Um, which is is just contextually different. Yeah. Um, yeah, very different. Very, very different. Whereas Dev would have been the politician mm-hmm. and whatever. So I thought you were going that way. And I was like, I don't see that the way you do. But then no. we, you, you flipped it on its head there in your explanation of Dev doing things for Dev and, mm-hmm. you know, not accepting perhaps the best that you're going to get and going with that. Um, yeah. <laughs> you, for any of our Irish listeners, you can tell where we fall on the side of the debate. Yeah. 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 By the way, if you haven't seen the film Michael Collins, it's amazing. Yes. Would highly recommend. Also, um, check out uh, the movie called The Treaty, mm-hmm. uh, starring Bernard Gleeson as Michael Collins. Mm-hmm. Uh, it tells a different side of the story. And then, if you just want, like, the fucking below, or like you know, the, the downstairs mm-hmm. version of it, watch Wind That Shakes the Barley. Yeah. Yeah. Um, my thing with Tyrum and Boris is. Tyrum overall is a nice guy. Mm. He does have a no human policy. Yeah. But he is the ask first, shoot later type. Mm-hmm. Where he wants to talk to them first. Yeah. He may still kill them later. Mm-hmm. 
but he wants to talk, which is why I think Stevenson will be fine. I think Stevenson yeah, will be grand. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, the thing with Tyrone is that like he's obviously stuck in the past, and he is perhaps overly cautious. Do you know? Like, Voris isn't wrong in that hiding away underground is no way to live. Do you know? He's not wrong in that statement. Mm-hmm. Um, but Tyrone also has every reason to be scared. Do you yeah. know? Their, like, their seclusion has kept them safe. Mm-hmm. You know, and the Cybermen, to, the, to their people, to whatever, are terrifying. Yeah. Do you know? And like he doesn't want his planet to be known as the planet of gold. Do you know? He doesn't mm-hmm. want to bring that on his people. Um, so like while yes, he's you know, perhaps overly cautious, he's not weak either. Like no. he is willing to take back power when he sees it being abused. Mm-hmm. Do you know, he sees what Voris is doing, and he's like, No, I am taking the power back from the Guardians. You are not making reasonable decisions here, you're abusing your power. Mm-hmm. I am taking that power back. And he's completely willing to take that power back. He's willing to go through with that. And like, Tyrum is an old man. Mm-hmm. Do you know, he's very old. <laughs> yeah. Um. So while, yes, he wasn't doing the physical fighting himself, he was committing his men to that action. Um. You know, he was pottering around from here to there and like, going mm-hmm. to see Voris and stuff like that. So um. I think Tyrum's an overall nice guy. I do wonder if they will maintain their seclusion. I would. I'm going to say probably. Me too. I think. Like, yeah. I mean, obviously, Stevenson has to go back to Earth, and he has to explain what's happening. And like, the interesting thing from a sort of science fiction, science reality perspective is this planet is described as an asteroid, clearly mm-hmm. a planet, and it is now an additional satellite to Jupiter. Jupiter. Mm-hmm. Um, so people will go and survey it. Mm-hmm. They will want to do that, and I don't think Tyrone's going to be able to keep them hidden for much longer. But I think, and obviously, like Stevenson has to explain on Earth what happened. So I think I don't think he will be successful in maintaining their seclusion. But I think they will likely have <laughs> hopefully a better version than what we saw in Carnival of Monsters. Yeah, yeah. Where it's their planet, you can't just turn mm-hmm. up whatever the fuck you want to, mm-hmm. and you know, come do surveys, come do whatever you want, but fuck off otherwise. Or it could be potentially like he could, for the sake of you know, Voga's peace, buy into the fucking lie mm. the, of the plague, and the asteroid could be treated like. In quotes, my favorite place on the fucking planet, the island of snakes. Yes, that has a fucking military and has a naval patrol around it to stop people arriving at it. <laughs> yeah, but I think I think Tyrum overall is a good guy. I do get where your analogy is coming from, though, because mm. Voris is okay. I will put out a disclaimer for any Irish listeners. Me and Paddy never knew Michael Collins and Eamon de Valera personally. All we know is what we've learned from history. So, mm-hmm. yes. Big caveat. Um, Voris is driven by ego and ambition rather than any sort of goodness or even patriotism. Mm. 
he was part of a plan to kill off 50 humans in the most stupid plan ever of let's lure our worst enemy to a space station. Let's let them put people on our planet with bombs on their backs. They knew this was going to happen. They knew that there was going to be bombs involved. They knew that. Let's allow them to do this because I have built a rocket and I am going to wipe them out. I'm going to wipe out the four fucking Cybermen that would like his plan is idiotic. It did mm. like what did he think every Cyberman in the universe was going to come to that space station? There were four of them. Or five. Maybe five. Six. Six. Was there six? Okay. There were six of them. Uh, two on the two on the planet. Uh two on the ship that get taken up by Cybermats, and then there's the Cyber Leader and the one remaining one. Oh, okay. I think there may have only been four actors, though. Because I, I, I don't think we see all six yeah. of them together. No, there, yeah, there was only four actors, but there's six yeah. individuals. Like, six Cybermen? Really? Wait, and I'll seven. have... Descri- uh, Se- seven. Sorry, seven, there's a, there's a pilot. Seven, sorry. So, seven Cybermen. Mm-hmm. And Tyrum's like, or Forrest is like, I will have destroyed the Cybermen. It's like, you'll have destroyed seven Cybermen. Mm-hmm. You killed 50 humans and risked your entire planet for seven Cybermen who didn't even know you were fucking there in the first place. Mm. You clod. What sort of plan was that? <laughs> and the fact that he does it all behind Tyrum's back means that he knows it's a bad plan. And he knows that the people wouldn't want it. Like, is he wrong that they shouldn't hide in the shadows? No, I think he's perfectly right there. Do you know? Like, they need to find a balance. Like, this war was hundreds of years ago. They need to find a balance. But he's such a egomaniac who's doing it all for his own like you said it himself his dying words are my glory like, yeah your glory for what you tit for scaring the shit out of everyone on your planet for nearly dooming them all for killing 50 humans like what exactly is your glory here um so yeah he's an egomaniac ambitious clod yeah. is, is my is, is my <laughs> Is my my take on force? <laughs> I'm only just realizing now I could have gone with the less controversial uh, Black Panther and fucking uh, Killmonger analogy, but <laughs> that's not the one that's wrong to mind. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, less political. Yeah, less political. Um, more relevant to modern audiences, perhaps. Perhaps, yeah. But like I, I, but I think like putting into a real world setting like yeah. this, like that is the ramification for what can happen, and we actually saw it. Yeah, we saw interfactional fighting based on the fucking decisions made between two by two different people. Yeah, very much so. Mm. Do you know who there's no division over though? Oh, all right. I, I, I'm going to go first if you don't mind because I need to get this yeah. fucking just. I, I only have one, two, three, four. I have five words, so you can go first. Okay. No, seriously. Fuck Kelman. He is an absolute fucking scumbag. I like. I have. <laughs> Harry shouldn't have closed his eyes. No. That that moment of fucking, you know, like you know, giving him his like your know, dignity and peace. No, fuck him. He deserves absolutely nothing. You you mean to tell me that he couldn't have come up with a better fucking plan to eliminate the Cybermen in, than killing fucking fifty of his own crew? Mm. He could like. In, in all the fucking possibilities. Okay, yeah, you want to get your payday? Grand. 
not there. But you mean to tell me between you and fucking Voris, you couldn't have come up with a better fucking idea? Maybe tell the Cybermen you were going to attack them, but then just move them all down onto the planet for like two days. Absolutely no, like or fucking just like fake the fact that they like that they've been dead. Like Jesus Christ, like put him into a fucking uh, a lead, not a lead room, but like something that blocks the fucking sensors of the Cyberman ship. You have access to their technology, apparently. Something, 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 other than this fucking retarded plan. Mm. Like, I don't think I've ever hated a fucking character more than I hate Kelman in in terms of Doctor Who. Mm. I I know, like I've. I like I've said like I've hated a lot of people and I really mm. fucking have, but no, this is this is just fucking scum of the earth. Like this is absolutely fucking scum of the earth. So I had five words. It's actually four words because one gets repeated. Mm-hmm. Asshole, yeah. traitorous, two-faced asshole. That's Kelman yeah. in a nutshell. I said that his death wasn't given any impact on screen, and I still stand by that. I agree with you, Harry shouldn't have closed his eyes, he didn't deserve that respect. But the fact that a character had just died, yeah, there shouldn't have been the humorous thing coming after it, in my opinion. Regardless of what the, of who the character was. And like fucking it like when you go back and you just think of some of the stuff like Stevenson, like, you know, my friends died and mm. how come he survived? And it's like Oh, oh, it hits so much fucking worse when you realise that he's the one that did it. And it's just like, you, also, oh. he attacks Sarah Jane on purpose. Yeah. Asshole. No, he's an absolute fucking scumbag. Oh, just, yeah, I. I... <laughs> It'll be a while before I come across someone that I have this much fucking vitriol for. <laughs> Let's move on, shall we? Yes. The Cybermen. Do as I say or I'll shake you violently. <laughs> the shaky shoulder attack is so weird. <laughs> like, I get that it's meant to be like they're, like, literally, like, A, they're applying a lot of pressure to your body. But, like, it's just a shaky shoulder thing. And when, like, it's, it's when it's the Doctor and Sarah together. Yeah. It's just so funny. Like, you can put dance music to behind that. Like. It, it just reminds you of, like, anytime Gene Wilder gets angry at someone in one of his movies. <laughs> you know? Is that what you're telling me? Is it? Um, as with the Daleks, right? There's nothing revolutionary here in, in this appearance that we mm. haven't seen before. And honestly, like... I think it's it's like oh well, with the exception of like oh a cyber leader's helmet is fucking spray painted black compared to the, the other guys, like this is a combination of the moon base wheel in space and the invasion. Mm. It's just rehashed elements of old stories. Yeah. At least with the Daleks, they're put into completely different fucking settings that they can at least, while they themselves may not present anything new in terms of like your fucking character progression or anything mm. like that at least the story settings are fucking different mm. this is just a re like, much the same way that wheel in space was kind of a fucking rehash of moon base this is a rehash of three different cyberman stories yeah for me i think i think it's a cyberman story i probably like this one the least yeah for the like for the cybermen themselves um i don't think they were the best i don't because it's the first time we're seeing them in color but they are not very threatening in their own right. 
I think it's I, I don't think it's got anything to do with the fact it's in color. I think it's got to do with the costuming. Yeah, there's something about the re- the revised design that isn't scary. Hmm. And the actions that they take and the, the cyber leader constantly walks with his hands on his hips. It's as if he's got a kink in his back. He's trying to work out or something. I think there's a bit too much humanity in this performance. Yeah. Like, they, I, they, like we don't have the sing-song voice of the moon base, which I, or, or not of moon base, that was 10th Planet. 10th uh, Planet. Yeah. The sing-song voice of 10th Planet, which was weird, but kind of yeah. effective. That, remember that, have... like, the hands, like the human hands yeah. in 10th Planet were so good. Um, yeah. And like, I think, I just think the other ones were more threatening. Nor do we, nor we don't have like the synthesized voice from like two of the Cybermen mm. or uh, Moonbase. Yeah, it's just like I think the the synthesizing effect that they were putting over the actual voice actor it just wasn't working. There's a there's too much emotion. Yeah, I think it, there was too much humanity in these Cybermen. Yeah, there was, you know, like they're talking about logic. Like Sarah's basically saying they have a rocket aimed at you, and you're saying mm. they would have fired it already if it worked. Therefore, it's not applicable to offense. Like, uh, that's do you no. see the Borg having that kind of response? Do you see the Daleks having that kind of response? That's not logic, dude. That's just someone didn't know what to write in that scene, so they just moved yeah. on. Like, yeah, it's a, it's a case of like, okay, factor the potential of a of a fucking rocket. I know. Now, how about we just speed up? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh God. Um, I think like the Cybermat was interesting. Um, mm. in the sense of, um, you know, the poison and whatever. Um, I thought that was actually kind of good. Uh, mm. it was funny watching people fight with it because it's just on strings, yeah. and they're trying to keep it attached to them, but also mm. fight it away at the same time, which is just funny. Um, but yeah, not not the best Cybermen, which which is sad because their first appearance in in color. Um, hmm. I think, like I said, I think Tent Planet, Moonbase, Wheel in Space. I'm not the biggest fan of. No, I or... no, I'm not a big fan of. I think the best Cyberman stories are probably uh, Tent Planet, Moonbase, and Invasion. Yeah, we've only seen five uh, so far, and yeah, yeah, that's well. To be fair, like Invasion had Pekka. Yeah, this this one Actually, had this one this one had the same actor. But, it had Kevin Stoney, and like, I thought Kevin Stoney was great in this as Tyler. Okay. I, I thought he was very good. Yeah, like he, he's like, what he's not my favorite supporting um, recurring actor. That goes to Bernard, um, guy that played was in that played Saladin. Oh yeah, yeah, Tyler, yeah. yeah um, and in uh, Colony in Space, yeah. uh, he's one of my favorite uh, recurring guest yeah. actors on the show. Yeah. Okay, so we are now into our overall, where we give our thoughts on the story as a whole, and we give a score out of five. Now, before I turn it over to Patty, just a quick reminder, this season is currently sitting at a 4.81 average, which is our highest ever. <laughs> um, will it stick the landing and maintain that high score? We will see. So, Patty, your turn. Mm. Thoughts and score to five, please, sir. Season falls short. 
yeah i was i was sorry it's like there is some stuff i like in here in terms of the characters and some of the story points mm. because as i said i like from my perspective i enjoy harry's journey mm. for how i rationalize it and also as much as this that particular time period in history fucking infuriates me mm. because of what it did to mm. people and families and so on um I quite enjoyed Tyrem and Voris's opposing viewpoints. Yeah. I thought it made for a really good story. And, like, you know me, I'm a big fan of Star Trek. Mm-hmm. And some of my favorite parts of Star Trek are the fucking, the political machinations mm. in, you know, fucking whatever Federation, Cardassia, Klingon, um, anything to do with that. But there are other things that really get under my skin. Kelman, like, just really, like, I... <laughs> A character and their motivations has never absolutely fucking just tanked something for me <laughs> so much. And it's like, as I said, like the story itself is just a rehash of stuff we've seen before. Mm. With just a new with the Vogans thrown in. That's mm. pretty much it. Um and like, all right, you know, fair enough. I know I can understand, you know, when you completely rewrite a script as is like what they did. And you're trying to come up with stuff on the fucking fly or in such a short period of time, you kind of take from what has worked. Unfortunately, this this hodgepodge doesn't work. Mm. But like the, the the fucking stupidity of the plan, it just fucking boggles my mind. Mm. It it really does. I get that the guy is fucking arrogant. I get that he is is fucking. Mo- like you know, he, he's money grubbing. Like mm. he's got gold lust or whatever. But does does that excuse his like fucking idea? Like or his agreement to come? On? Yeah, let's just fucking kill fifty people and blame it on something. If it if it does, then no, or, like if it doesn't, or like if there's some sort of compunction there, you know, oh, it's just fucking lazy writing. But if that's his actual like you know callousness, fuck that guy. Mm. I it, it actually really really fucking ugh, it sickens me. So what's your score, Paddy? <laughs> oh, so, sorry, sorry. I've given it a three out of five. Okay, so that takes which, your average. Is, it's kind of generous, but I, I really enjoyed certain parts of this. That takes your average to 4.45. Is that your highest average? No. Not, season seven's my highest, I think. Season seven with 4.63. Yeah. Is it my second highest? Like, it's, does, it, does it trump season two for me? It does. It does. So season two was 4.22. Right. Season one was 4.16. Mm-hmm. And this is 4.45. Mm-hmm. So it's your second highest. Yeah. I, I, I like, I, like, season two was like a great fucking fondness in my heart. Mm. But I think, yes, <laughs> Space Museum just fucking did <laughs> <trashed> it. <that. laughs> yeah. So that's got my score out of the way. Mm. I also gave it a three. The first hit to the Sarah Jane legacy. <laughs> Technically the second hit, because Death to Daleks was the first hit, because that story oh, yeah. was shit. <laughs> <laughs> true, true. But I also gave it a three. Hmm. The amazing stories we've had so far this season, this one just falls flat, which is sad. The location for this is so good. Like, hmm. the location filming is fantastic. It had so many good elements to it, but the implementation was slow, plodding, and weirdly, like there are a number of countdowns. They're walking around with bombs on their backs. 
know, there's the countdown to the rocket going off. There's the countdown to the impact. But I didn't get any sense of urgency. Is that just me? Mm. Or did you have that as well? I, I just think, like, with all the fucking countdowns, and, like, you know, the, the, it's just the confusing nature of the countdowns. Yeah, because the, the way they were it, showing that, like, oh, once it gets to the red, but it, it got to the red, like, three times over. What was yeah, that about? Was like, like, but, like, it's the case of, like, why don't you, why do you need to have it in the red? Why can't you just have a fucking timer? Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> so, I think, like, even though, like, I mean, even though, like, at the beginning, so episode one, I thought was good. Episode one has a great start-off point, you know, with the fucking mystery of the dead bodies mm. and all and, like, that. And the urgency around, like, the beginning of episode two, the urgency around mm. Sergeant. It's as soon as we go to Roger, for fuck's sake. It's so slow. It is so slow and plotting. There's no sense of urgency whatsoever, which is insane. Like, they're having these battles. Like, the firefights that were filmed in Wookiee Hole were good. The firefights that were filmed on set, they are standing five feet away from each other. They look yeah. ridiculous. It, it's, um, it's the naked gun. Yeah. You know, it's like behind the bins. Yeah. Which I think, had this been an entirely or predominantly location, filming it may have been better it may have been better the location of filming was very good mm-hmm. and you kind of got some sense of urgency with that it's very atmospheric as well and it's very atmospheric and the initial stuff on nerva was great the cyber on nerva it was there was no there was no urgency whatsoever um also sorry i just one thing that the doctor says is that by sharing gold with humanity, the glitter gun was invented. Yeah. Okay. Vogan know the Vogans know that the Cybermen are on the planet. Surely to Christ do not have any fucking munitions that have gold based projectiles yeah. or something that are built to combat Cybermen. Yep. One would think. One would think. Or do they not have a poly cocktail laying around somewhere? Uh, no. Ugh. Um What's interesting, though, for me is I actually watched the story, like, out of the stories that, you know, the stories that I've owned for years, I actually watch the story a lot. But I watch it with the audio commentary on because I find the production story so interesting. <laughs> like, the retelling of The Witch of Boogie and all this stuff. I find that stuff really interesting. So I actually watch the story probably more often than you'd think. Plus, you also get to see Liz and uh, Camo, and Liz and Camo. So. Liz and Camo yeah. is not to be, is not to be ignored. Yeah, it is amazing. <laughs> and fuck you, Harry, for saying she has fat angles because she didn't. Um, <laughs> but even that, even Liz and her Camo, which is fabulous, um, and the the audio commentary on this one is brilliant. It's it's not enough to raise the score. I think, I think, I think three might be a bit generous. Yeah, but like if I, you watched it on its own, it's actually it's all right. Like, do you know, what I mean? it's a, it's a yeah. grand story. I think because we're coming off this high of Genesis and Suntaran before that, and Ark was Ark yeah. was so good, and like Robot is really good, but it's a different type of good. I think to the other three, because uh, Robot was the introduction, so there's a sort of slightly different thing. R- Robot is, I'd say, the last vestige of John's era. Yeah, really good in its own right, but mm. like. Arc to Santarin to Genesis, the emotion and the heart and the darkness and the seriousness and whatever was so good. I can kind of understand why Philip didn't like this one. Yeah. Because it's missing 
all of that. Mm-hmm. Which isn't good. So I think if you were to watch it on your own, it probably wouldn't bother you as much as it's bothering us. But if you were to watch it in sequential order, mm. it falls flat. So that also brings my average to 4.45, which mm. is not my highest. No, it's season Season 7 is our highest, yeah. I think. And yeah, it is my second highest, though. What's your third highest out of curiosity? My third highest is... Uh, I want to say season one. Uh, no, it's season nine. Nine's out of four point two. All right. Oh, because, yeah, season nine. Because I, I like, I like, I, I weirdly really liked Carnival. Yeah. <laughs> which yeah. <was> random. <laughs> yeah, that, that's what, because I was going, yeah, nine is Carnival. Yeah. Yeah. Um, season one for me was 4.16. Um, season two was three point eight nine, which is weird. What what did I not like in season two? Ah, uh, you didn't like. Oh, Space Museum was shit. Yeah, and uh, and the chase was a bit. Yeah, you weren't big on the chase. You weren't big on the Space Museum, and I, I, I don't know if you're, uh, but else you see, I gave two. You gave the rescue a five. And I gave the crusade a five. Yeah. Yeah. Whereas I gave it a four point five. Yeah. 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 I would have given the book a five, so. Yeah. <laughs> book was awesome. Um, anyway, yeah. <laughs> Back to uh, what we're talking about. Actually, uh, speaking of the book, um, I was recently in London. A mm. uh, couple of things I'll comment about my recent trip to London. Um, a, that's why Genesis of the Daleks was a few days late. <laughs> Sorry for that. Two things I did when I was in London. Thing number one, I went to Time Fracture. No spoilers. Time Fracture is amazing. If you have an opportunity to go, do it. It's brilliant. <laughs> it's fantastic. It's about two and a half to three hours long. Great, great of an evening. I think it's a great evening out. You get out of it what you put into it. I'll put it that way. Nice. It's fantastic. No spoilers around that. I also went to the Who shop, which is in Barking. This is my second time there. And I went to their museum. Now, they have a museum behind their store. It's not that expensive. It's like four pounds, maybe four pounds fifty to enter. That's pretty good. Now, I don't want to tell you what's there in some ways, because if you have the opportunity, I want you to go see it for yourselves, because mm. the Who Shop is amazing and they deserve your support. But they have some costumes from season one Jesus. of Doctor Who. From season two of Doctor Who. They have one of my most favorite Sarah Jane outfits ever. They have some amazing classic props and everything. And the guys who work there are so nice and whatever. If you, again, if you're in London and you have an hour or two, if you have an hour, just go out to Barking, give them a call beforehand, book in your slot. Um, You know, before anyone asks, I didn't take any pictures because they're a small shop. They're not charging much for the tour. Go and see it, please. For me, <laughs> just go. Um, but they also, they're a Doctor Who shop. So I bought some more Target novels while I was there. And what did you get? Um, I got uh, The War Machines, mm-hmm. The Web of Fear, mm-hmm. Invasion of the Dinosaurs, mm-hmm. The Monster of Peladon. Mm-hmm. I replaced my copy of Robot, which I mentioned in a previous story, is kind of broken to fuck and needs to be replaced. And I also got 
Revenge of the Cybermen, (laughs) which is why I'm mentioning it. Um, If you like the Target novels, the Who Shop has a great collection of them. So again, if you're in London, highly recommend it. Take a spin out of them, you know, hop on the tube or whatever. Um, They're great. And the people who work there are lovely. Yeah, and uh, just uh, like Web of Fear novelization is fucking brilliant. So, um, yeah, that's why Genesis was late. Mm-hmm. Um, both of those things are very good, and Trish would highly recommend. Cool. And because I've been watching some bits of Alan Partridge lately on that bombshell, <laughs> uh, we come to the end of the fourth uh, Doctor's first season. So. Join us next week as we kick off season 13, ooh, ominous number, mm-hmm. with Terror of the Zygons. Ooh, ominous ooh. story. Ominous, ominous story with fucking one of my Anonymous. Anonymous. Hieronymous. No, ominous story. Ominous story with one of my favorite sequences in Classic Who. Completely agree. Yeah. Talk to you next week. Bye. Bye. <laughs>